Welcome to Industry Roundtable with Roger Reiswick. I'm Roger Reiswick, Fellow and Vice President of Industry Relations at Johnson Controls. In this series, I will host leaders in the industry to explore fire and life safety issues that matter to you. For today's discussion, we're going to focus in today on smoke control, and we have a special guest today. We have uh, Dr. James Milkey. Uh, Jim Milkey is a professor and chair of the Department of Fire Protection Engineering at the University of Maryland, and I'm honored to have him today. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for having me, Roger. And I'm so glad you were able to make some time and be with us today. You know, before we really get going into um, our topic for today, Jim, I just thought it would be good for us to maybe explore a little bit about what an FPE is. Not everybody might understand what a fire protection engineer is and the role that that might play. So you could kind of give us a little bit of an understanding of that and the program of what Maryland offers. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Fire protection engineers seek to reduce the burden of fire loss on life and property by providing highest quality of scientifically-based education, research, and outreach in fire protection engineering and in fire-related safety, health, and environmental issues. The fire protection engineer will use engineering fundamentals, research, fire analysis to assess the challenges posed by fire in a particular space and formulate a solution which is not only functional but economically feasible and practical. Uh, the fire protection engineer may be involved in numerous tasks, uh, including the design of fire protection systems, fire-rise buildings, industrial complexes, analysis at a level of fire protection in commercial residential buildings, nuclear power plants, aerospace vehicles, and the research of fire propagation, detection, suppression, and a variety of other topics in the fire safety field. In each of these cases, the fire protection engineer needs to be able to be competent in using state-of-the-art procedures and analysis and design techniques, including computer models for fire prediction. At Maryland, we offer degree programs leading to bachelor's and master's degrees in fire protection engineering and also provide opportunities for individuals to continue to a Ph.D. That's great, Jim. And you've been there for quite a while now, and you're the chair of the department. You oversee all of the uh, FPE programs. Uh, how long have you been there? I came onto the faculty in 1981. I'm a graduate of the program. After a few years of conducting research here in the department, I was invited to, by one of my past professors to do some research with him after graduating from the program here, being involved in industry for a couple of years, and came back to the university after a, a couple of years after my original bachelor's degree. So uh, it's been 38 years now since I've been on the faculty, the last eight of which I've been the department chair. Wow, that's fantastic. And we kind of just focus in sometimes on uh, just dealing with maybe sprinklers or egress modeling or fire alarm type of systems, but there's so much more to it uh, than just those, if you, as you pointed out. So with today's topic, Jim, and I know you're a little bit probably more familiar than most with this, and that's why I, I kind of asked if you would be part of this program. But we're um, talking about smoke control, and I, I guess one of the first questions I would have to you know, maybe ask you is, what is a smoke control system, or what does that mean when we, we see that in the codes and the standards and implemented in the field? Smoke control systems are provided in buildings in order to limit the hazard of smoke. Smoke can threaten people, can threaten high-value equipment, maybe some uh, cultural resources, museum pieces, and so on in a particular building. The smoke control systems are, are designed either to limit the spread of smoke beyond the area of fire origin or to remove smoke so as to mitigate the hazard. I think it's an interesting point you brought up about um, artwork and equipment that also can be affected by smoke. Uh, so it's not just for the human variable, if you will, that's in that area. 
but that smoke can play other parts. And, um, you know, sometimes we don't think about that with the artwork and, and equipment. So that's a great point. Absolutely. I think the bulk of the requirements that we have in our codes pertain more to protection of people, but a building owner may have a, a strong interest in uh, protecting, again, the cultural resources, the museum pieces, and so on. There may be high-value data processing equipment that could be uh, disabled as a result of being exposed to smoke that uh, can provide some very corrosive smoke particles. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and along with that, sometimes we hear uh, the term smoke management used instead of smoke control or maybe intermixed. And I guess for our audience, could you maybe explain, are they the same? Are they different? And if so, how? They do mean different things. And part of the confusion for for people that are not intimately involved in smoke control systems are that the meanings have have morphed into a little bit over the years, at least within the NFPA committee. Uh, Today, smoke control systems or smoke control is the broad umbrella term that encompasses anything and everything you might do to limit the hazard of smoke, where smoke management systems are smoke control systems that are put into large volume spaces that we would call an atrium or we may see in an arena, in a covered mall, and places like that. So, you know, kind of thinking about that, so you've explored a little bit about why a building would need such a system, but is there other ramifications beyond just, um, you know, the human factor and the equipment and artwork that maybe we missed? Smoke control systems get get put into buildings, again, primarily for protecting people, uh, but there are a couple aspects of even the people protection we can talk about. So we we might want to protect the uh, means of egress paths, such as a stairwell. We might want to protect an area of refuge, and that's going to be a different kind of system in protecting a particular space where people are going to go and, and try and wait out the fire. There are other other systems where, again, we, we try and limit the spread of smoke beyond a particular area to be able to, to protect people in another wing of the building from being exposed to smoke. Otherwise, then there is the property protection side that we already talked about. Uh, there is some interest as well, more for industrial properties, I think, to pr- try and remove some of the uh, the smoke in buildings to improve conditions for the emergency responders doing search and rescue. Yeah, you had brought up an area of refuge and uh, maybe relocating people from one side of the building to another. And I think as we look at our building codes and how they're evolving, we're seeing more and more usage of uh, area of refuge, basically a place where somebody can go that maybe is incapacitated and not able to uh, evacuate a facility through using the normal stairwell, and then relocation, right? Because a lot of these larger buildings, we don't evacuate the entire building at one time, right? Yes, absolutely. So if we're we're evacuating in phases, especially very tall buildings, uh, that it's important that those those people on the on the floors not being evacuated in, in an initial phase of evacuation are being protected by the, the building itself or by the active systems that may be there. Okay, and then when we think about the buildings that are required to have these type of systems, one of the first that comes to mind, uh, at least that I see a lot, is high-rise buildings. But there's probably other type of buildings that need these types of systems to have uh, have them installed. Could you uh, maybe give us a little bit of an example of what those might be? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. In the model codes that we have here in the U.S., the uh, buildings that that most often see a smoke control system will be high-rise buildings, like you say, and those will be the uh, stairwell pressurization systems in particular that we'll find in a high-rise building, basically, at at least in the model codes in the U.S., a a building that's over 
75 feet tall above the, the fire department level of access. The uh, other principal type of building that, that would get uh, smoke control systems installed in them per the, the model codes uh, would be the large volume space, the, the atrium building uh, that includes a, a couple stories or more connected together with a, a large opening that we call an atrium. Uh, covered malls would be another case. Uh, covered malls uh, are required to have smoke control systems when there are three levels uh, connected there. Uh, and then otherwise, uh, there are provisions in codes, and again, the model codes that talk about smoke-protected seating areas that are more the uh, the big theaters, the arenas, and, and those sort of places uh, where a smoke control system would be installed to uh, to stop the descent of the smoke layer so that the people can evacuate from the upper balcony of uh, of that seating area. Okay. So when you talk about model codes and building codes, you're you're referring to in the U.S. we use NFPA as well as the International Code Council, or ICC, and that's used a lot throughout the uh, the world as well in, in a lot of our travels. But for implementing these, can we talk about codes? Codes tell us, you know, when to do something, and standards typically tell us how to do it. So when it comes to these governing documents to implement these systems, what documents do we typically need to point to or to go to? The main document to, to go to in, in trying to determine how to design these smoke control systems is NFPA 92. That would be the, the reference to uh, review and, and looking at design principles, uh, talk some about how to, how to test these systems once they get installed. But that would be the go-to document that, um, that the requirement at an IBC or NFPA 5000 would be uh, directing people to. The only additional standard that might get involved is NFPA 204, um, and this is more for, for those buildings, typically industrial buildings, warehouse kind of buildings, where the, the smoke control system consists of natural vents, uh, so big skylights or hatches that open up, so uh, generally not mechanical systems. Mechanical systems are covered in 92. Okay. So NFPA 204, the standard for smoke and heat venting. Right. That's right. And I should add, I've made reference to model codes. Do keep in mind that where I've, I've given a couple of categories of where the model codes require a, a smoke control system to be included, there could be local codes or, or perhaps state codes that may have different provisions that would require other types of buildings to be protected so that, that uh, for any of the listeners, they'll want to consult the local code in their area. Uh, for any of those additions where, where there may be other provisions for requirements of maybe pressurizing a wing of the building, perhaps, in, in something called zone smoke control uh, that's not in the model codes anymore, but there may be some state or city codes that still require that. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. So when we talk about designing these systems and using these standards on how to do that, one question that seems to come up a lot is who's qualified to design these systems or what qualifications would a person need to have to design these systems? Could you give us a little bit of insight on that? Uh, sure, Ken. Um, I think the ideal team, as it is, or the ideal approach would include a team, and that would be the uh, a fire protection engineer who would be involved in that and a mechanical engineer that would be involved in that. And the way the task would get split is that the fire protection engineer would determine the capabilities needed from that system. So uh, what size fan is, is needed, for example, to pressurize a particular space or to exhaust a particular amount of smoke, depending upon the, the designed approach. So that, that the FPE would be involved in that piece, and, and I can talk a little more about what that FPE might do. 
And the mechanical engineer largely is going to take those capabilities of a particular fan size that the FP is, is needing uh, and find the actual hardware uh, to do that and, and then work through the details of the installation and what size duct. Um, the mechanical engineer, as long as we're talking about the mechanical engineer, um, the mechanical engineer will also be involved in not just selecting particular size fan, but what material that fan needs to be made out of, or the duct needs to be made out of to make sure that it can withstand the temperature effects of perhaps transporting heated smoke from the fire zone. The fire protection engineer, on, on the other hand, in determining the capabilities of the system, uh, the FPE is going to be responsible for selecting uh, basically the, the design fires that are, that are going to be and identifying the design fires and the smoke that is produced from those design fires to determine what capacity of fans need to be there to, to accomplish a particular pressure difference or exhaust a particular amount of smoke. But the FB is going to be the one understanding, so what kind of design fires could be anticipated in a particular occupancy, be it a museum space or an arena or a mall, a high-rise office building, where, wherever it might be, and that FPE is then going to, to say, all right, now, given this particular design fire, how much smoke is going to be provided and, and providing then a, an estimate of the quantity of smoke as well as the quality of that smoke, um, and that, that's very often going to be done by a computer simulation. Gotcha. Uh, I like how you said you pull a team together because it does seem like these systems require a team approach when it comes to the mechanical side, the HVAC, um, sprinklers play a part into this, right, on when I need to put in smoke control and how it operates, as well as the smoke detection you know, comes into play and the control switches. And, and I like how you said it's a team because I, I, I do think, see that being a team approach with the maybe the FPE or the mechanical engineer becoming the, the mastermind, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> for these types of systems. But, and I, so, I very much appreciate the comments you've made about team because I, I've, I've included two team members thinking of simply the fans that are there, but, but the smoke control system is much more than just fans. As you've properly pointed out, there, there's going to be something of an of a automatic activation means and that's going to be provided by a fire detector, for example. Uh, there are controls that are needed and so on. And so the fire alarm folks are going to be involved in electrical engineers are going to be involved in worrying about backup power and those kind of things associated with these. A controls person involved. So it really is more than just two people. There are going to be multiple disciplines involved in this. And, and uh, I mean, I, I can add that years ago, I gave a presentation at a SFPE ASHRAE joint meeting and was talking about smoke control systems and had a question from one of the people in, in the crowd, kind of point blank. He said, you know, you fire protection engineers are, are really unreasonable with these smoke control designs. And I was a little bit taken back by the question and, and just said, so what do you mean? He further explained, he said, it requires many, many people to talk to each other and to coordinate their efforts together from the engineering team to the installing team. And there's all these people that now have to talk to each other. And I didn't have any way to rebut that other than to say, you're absolutely right. It takes all those people to make one of these things work. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and that leads me into, you know, kind of a side discussion. You know, NFPA has developed uh, NFPA 3 and NFPA 4, uh, commissioning documents and integrated testing documents, to kind of go along with exactly what you're talking about, you know, to make sure that uh, all of these facets that all have to come together to make a comprehensive solution uh, need to be in place. But I always look back, though, is you need the mastermind. You need the person to corral the cats, and that's where I view the FPE and or mechanical engineer coming together with systems like this to make that happen. Yes, I, I think it's absolutely spot on. 
So along with that, too, because we here in, in our fire life safety arena in Johnson Controls, people will say, hey, we need a smoke control system installed in this facility, or they're asking for one from the contractor. And when you start to dig into it, you really kind of see, well, all they're looking for in this building is maybe just stairwell pressurization to be implemented. So when somebody says stairwell pressurization and pretty much that's all, maybe some fresh air makeup, do we consider that a smoke control system? It's absolutely a smoke control system. It's uh, perhaps one of the simpler designs that exists, but it's absolutely falling under the umbrella of a smoke control system. So that's the key is there's multiple levels or multiple you know, complexities of smoke control. It's not a one-size-fits-all, which is why we need some kind of a qualified person to be able to design these systems. Right. There's no simple cookie-cutter designs in these systems. Um, the stair pressurization systems may become closest to that, but even then there are few or any designs that we can call standard uh, in, in this area, and each one is going to have to be tailored to the specifics of that particular building, which for me, I find to be the, the interesting part of smoke control. There are others that may consider that to, to be the curse if you're involved in, in smoke control because you have to redo design every time for the particulars of that building. But uh, for me, I, I find that to be the interesting part of this area. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as an FPA you know, 3 always tells us, it's all about documentation, 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 uh, just like what you said with this design. And what, what we did today might not still be in a, a, a working system or meet the needs to the life safety system tomorrow. So with that, we hear about conducting fire modeling, egress modeling, uh, things like that. You know, and, and for our listeners who might not really understand what all of that is about, can you discuss a little bit about what fire modeling is? And is there a common program that you use to do that? And what kind of results do you get? And what does an engineer do with those results? And fire modeling is, is a computer simulation that's used to predict the conditions produced by a fire. So that's the, the general statement. There are a variety of fire models that exist, ranging in complexity and in the, what it takes to, to run them. In the smoke control area, and, and in particular in looking at the smoke management systems for atria and cover balls and arenas and the like, quite often those designs are based on a fire modeling application. Uh, and one of the more sophisticated fire models at that, this is a model called Fire Dynamic Simulator that, that's quite often used to look at smoke development, to be able to, to look at how conditions change with time and change in, with time and over, uh, over a large area that uh, may be very different conditions in one part of the arena as compared to another part of the arena. So we need these very sophisticated models to make that work. The fire dynamic simulator that, that is used uh, can look at, uh, again, that the hazardous smoke uh, prior to the start of a system, when the system will actuate based on some fire detector responding to the fire, and then uh, finally, what's the, the performance of the system? So uh, this is usually the, uh, the purview of the FPE involved in this uh, design team that we've, we've talked about where the FP is going to be responsible for collecting the, the input data needed to run this model that, that will include the geometry of the space. We'll talk about the, the material property characteristics of the, the fuel packages that, that are envisioned to be part of the design fire so that we'll be able to understand what's the heat production and how much carbon monoxide is produced and how much soot's produced and so on, all with the goal at the, at the end of being able to provide results in time 
uh, that say how deep is the smoke layer at any point in time after the fire starts, how hot is that smoke layer, uh, how much carbon monoxide and whatever other combustion gases are in that smoke layer. Will we be able to see that through that smoke layer? What's the visibility to a lighted exit sign um, that would all be part of that output? And those outputs are generally going to be used, again, to look at the design basis of the of the system, how big of a fan one needs, uh, typically comparing those results against what's the impact on people then. So uh, if, if I have this smoke exhaust system, there might be a little haze, but will people be able to see through that smoke and, and be able to still exit safely? Or will conditions be bad that they, they won't be able to see, in which case that tells me I need a different size fan or... They'll, they'll be uh, exposed to um, unacceptable levels of carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide and the, the array of combustion gas. Well, so it sounds like it's a pretty comprehensive uh, and uh, maybe time-consuming model to run or program to run. Yes, the model FDS has a pretty extensive runtime, especially for complicated designs such as are typically going to be the case in and again, the arenas and tall atria and, and uh, complicated cover malls and the like, or airport terminals, the run times can quite often be in, in terms of days. I mean, it's going to take a little while to put the input together, uh, and then the, the actual runtime could be measured more in days as opposed to minutes or hours and such. So, uh, yeah, it's very, very extensive. Wow. Wow. So as we're talking about this, you know, to kind of get back to the, the core understanding of it, we as I read through a lot of the documents for um, fan control, smoke control, and uh, in, in FPA 101 and the I codes, I see the term tenability pop up over and over. And we talk about that as it relates to smoke control, and we see that being used. So what exactly are we talking about when we refer to tenability of an area as it relates to codes and standards? I mean, tenability is, is the term that's, that's used basically to describe, is the smoke uh, survivable if one is exposed to it? Some of the systems, and especially for the large volume spaces in the atrium cover malls and the like, where it may be impractical to exhaust smoke to an extent that people aren't exposed to any smoke at all. And it's a, a recognition of, at least in a cost-effective sort of way, do, do we really need to exhaust every little bit of smoke? Uh, or if there's a light haze, is that acceptable? And let's spend our fire protection money elsewhere. Uh, do, doing other things instead, and, and it's a realization that, that we can survive a little bit of smoke, and that virtually everybody listening to this call, I've got to think, has been downwind of a bonfire or a campfire barbecue at some point in their life and got a little bit of exposure to smoke and, and survived it. So it's working through that analysis or, or working through that appreciation, I guess, of, of saying, okay, so if it's just a little bit of smoke, can people survive that? Now, there's a um, this is a bit of a new area in the smoke management area. NFPA 92, and just in the last edition, included some guidance for how to do a tenability analysis and what the limits will be. But now we, we start getting into some toxicity, toxicology sort of issues, and um, still still learning a, a fair amount on this in, in terms of providing a conservative design and perhaps having the case that people will be exposed to a little bit of smoke. But, uh, I mean, some people can't be exposed to very much at all. They're very sensitive to smoke. Maybe they have respiratory problems and the like. So providing the thresholds and the limits for those designs is where, where the arguments all fall at this point uh, in terms of how much of a safety factor do we need to have for people who are um, perhaps hypersensitive to smoke. Oh, that's great. 
Jim, I just really want to thank you for taking some time to go through all of this. Smoke control, the, the concept and the system, it really does fascinate me as well, uh, working with them for many, many years. And I just don't see us as an industry maybe devoting as much time you know, discussing it. So thank you very much for taking your time today and uh, briefing our audience a little bit more and helping them understand these, uh, the nuances of these systems. Thanks so much for including me. It's a topic I love talking about and uh, appreciate being included. Thank you, Jim. And thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Roundtable. Be on the lookout for more podcasts in the coming weeks covering a range of fire and life safety related topics.